Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But the question keeps coming up, you know, is all day kindergarten on the chopping block? Well, we do know that next year, it will remain in place as is. But Ford uh, was asked pretty directly about what his government has planned in the future for this program, and yeah, they're, they're reviewing it. And I get it. This is a very, very popular policy. And this was a, a bona fide vote buyer for uh, Mr. McGinty, who you know implemented it, fully knowing that the $1.8 billion cost could not be afforded, but it would keep him in power. And this is one of many programs economist Don Drummond said had to go that, you know, if Ontario was going to get its fiscal house in order and avoid, you know, crisis, that this and other, quote, free things had to go. And we now know, remember, McGinty shelved it. It's now been collecting dust ever since. And maybe it is time for Ford. You know, can he dust that report off? Could the ignored Drummond report of 2012 now be implemented? Or would it be worse? These are the questions I wanted to know. So I thought, well, why don't we ask the guy who crafted the 700 pages? Don Drummond is a Canadian economist, having, of course, served extensively in the Federal Department of Finance Canada as chief economist at Toronto Dominion Bank and, of course, as a scholar at Queen's University. We spoke earlier. Here's what he had to say. Professor Drummond... When you did your initial report back in 2012, you didn't call the situation in Ontario a crisis. Would you use that word today? Uh, crisis is thrown about a little bit too much. Uh, Ontario obviously has a high deficit, it has a high debt burden, and these are real problems. Is it a crisis in the sense that we just saw Italy and Greek uh, economies recently where literally no one wanted to lend money to them? No, it's not at that point. So... I wouldn't say it's a crisis yet, but there certainly is a pattern moving towards that direction. If it's not addressed in the next five years, it would. Uh, if you ask me again in five years and it hasn't improved, then I would say so. But there's a way out of it still at this point. Okay. And so I think a lot of people are, are starting to say, could we take the Drummond report of six years ago and dust that off and put it into place today? Would it still work today? Parts of what? First, the context is actually troublingly similar. Uh, the deficit's quite similar. The debt burn's actually bigger right now. We figured at that time that the overall spending of the government couldn't increase by much more than about 2% a year, and everybody thought that seemed very draconian, and, and of course, in retrospect, that's what needed to have happened. Mm-hmm. And those parameters are probably not changed right now. Somehow, they would have to keep spending to, at a growth rate of no more than 2% and perhaps even less than that. So that's quite similar. Of course, some of the recommendations were implemented, and so those are taken off the table. And some of the things, the context has changed somewhat. And actually, in some sense, some parts of it are proceeding right before our eyes right now. So, for example, led by Ruben Devlin, there are six tables looking at health care mm-hmm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. And you could say, in some sense, that's the parallel in health care to what I did back in 2012. 
Right. And but you did. You made it pretty clear back in 2012 that you can't cherry pick this report. It's kind of an all or nothing approach. And of course, they decided to go with the nothing approach, which I think a lot of people thought, oh, geez, if only they had done then, you know, what they were advised to do, where would we be now? Um, And I guess we can't really ever guess where would we be now if, in fact, Mr. McGinty implemented all of your recommendations? Would we be out of the hole? Yeah, I think there was a way out of it. I, do, I, I don't want to leave the impression they didn't do any of it. Um, but in some cases, they did it quite badly. And health would be a good example of that. Actually, to my surprise, they did for a while keep to the financial parameters and health spending, but they did it in all the wrong way. So they starved capital. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's just created capital uh, inadequacies now. They're creating a pressure. And then they arbitrarily cut physicians' pay. And, of course, that's creating a pressure to increase physicians pay right now. We have an outstanding arbitration award coming in that direction. They didn't do the underlying reforms. That was the, the tart I wanted to get at because like anybody else in our household budget, to a certain degree, you can always save a bit of money. But if you don't not change your underlying situation, that just comes back to haunt you in a little while. And, that, and that's what we've got right now. And that's the disappointment that they did some of the financial parameters, but they didn't do the hard work of the underlying reform. And Hence, we're back in this situation again. Right, because it's 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 easy to make a lot of promises to people. It does help win elections, but again, you have to pay for them, and when you can't pay for them, people don't like it when it's taken away. And so what made me think of... of Professor Drummond is the fact that we are now once again talking about all-day kindergarten, and we've already had the conversation with the Ford government about this increased class sizes. These are two areas of education in your report that you said should go. And so... The, the premier today is not saying one way or another if all-day kindergarten will be chopped altogether, but he is saying it will be reviewed and uh, you know changes could in fact come. Um, is that the way that we need to go? Should all-day kindergarten be axed or revised? Well, this is another reality of life, though. It's a lot easier to not implement something than it is to take it away right. what's already been implemented. I think it would be very difficult now that it's been in place for a number of years to take it away. In an ideal world, if we re-round the 2012, I would have preferred to see an approach where they put additional resources to the students who are most vulnerable. That would have had a higher value for the money than extending that to everybody, but that's not the way they went. Mm -hmm. But the proposition to say somebody who has very young children right now and may well be planning on that, that it's going to be yanked away. And, of course, they've said that they wouldn't do anything for the next year or two, which suggests we're getting closer to a next election when they do it. So I, I kind of am guessing that's probably not what they're going to do. Student classroom size is quite different. Uh, McGinty seized upon that, and it definitely had a popular appeal, but there's no evidence that reducing the classroom size by a small margin makes any difference to the results of the students. Yes, 15 is better than 30, but 24 and 25 students versus 26 and 27 really doesn't make that much difference, but it added a lot to the cost. So that could be eased back without any great damage, but that that's not a big multi-billion dollar savings such as the childhood or the kindergarten was. Right. And and I agree with you. I mean, I've got a five-year-old in kindergarten, and, and it is a luxury to have, uh, you know, him in school all day. It, it absorbs a huge cost for our household, but at the same time, it's not supposed to be a babysitting service. So could the Ford government, um, you know, revise the, the particular program to maybe make it a subsidy-based program or a tax rebate program, or make it so that it goes for more vulnerable and lower-income um, families? Would that make more sense? 
Yeah, certainly all of the above are, are realistic opportunities. Uh, yeah, as you notice, on average, it saves a household about $6,000. And unless you have a grandparent or somebody else, mm-hmm. um, the cost savings is obviously a lot bigger than that. So there's definitely an aspect, and I suspect some sort of assistance may be required to do that. Um, it does, on average, increase the literacy results when students do get to grade one. The, the overall result's not huge, but the result, again, coming back to the most vulnerable students, it's quite an impressive result for vulnerable students. But you could do it alternatively by putting additional resources into that. You know, you can well imagine the life of a teacher or students in a class of 25 when there's two or three that are quite a ways below the grade level. And you just... By yourself in the classroom, you just can't devote the resources that are required in that case, but you could have teacher assistance, you could have resource teachers that may be available in that, and that would get where you really need the resources, would have a a good payoff, and will be less expensive. And that was the sort of thing I was hoping we would have seen more of back in 2012, but instead the money was sort of blanketed very thinly across reducing the classroom size and going for everybody for the early childhood uh, kindergarten. Right. But there was a government, you know, playing to the vote of the teachers unions. I mean, they're very influential, as you well know, in the province of Ontario. And we're going into yet another negotiation in the summer for, for teacher salaries. And so, um, you know, D- uh, Doug Ford's got a bit of a balancing act. Uh, they're never going to be happy with him, clearly. Um, but, you know, there has to be a way that that the unions can understand some there's got to be some give on either side of this thing. Well, uh, I guess we could move field slightly and pose that same question in the health case. Yep. As I said, we we have had the closing of the hearings and the arbitration with the Ontario Medical Association, and there is a gigantic gulf between what the Medical Association asked for and what the government offered. So what you said, the, the understanding of the providers is, I don't know whether that's the case or not. Uh, the doctors are asking for significant increases going forward and to be made up for the arbitrary cutback that the previous government applied to them. So there are pressures on the wage front, but just coming back to 2012, the, the surprising thing about the education reports is Dalton McGinty missed what I thought was the slowest softball lob coming his way possible. I always knew he was going to reject the recommendation and not proceed with all-day kindergarten, but I thought he would use it as a bartering tool and say, we're going to proceed with that, but that means we have to do everything else, and that means holding the line on compensation. Which, which could mean did, that Mr. Ford's going to use that then. Yeah, but McGinty didn't do right. that. He yeah. immediately came out and swung at the ball and uh, missed it by a mile, and he said, we're going to do the all-day kindergarten, and only subsequently came back and said, oh, and we're going to hold the line on all these things, but he'd already made the promise. So there could have been a better strategy at that time, and there could be a strategy this time, but you know, but it all has to be put in a much broader context. So I, I think this whole notion of cutting all-day kindergarten and, and other things will go very badly if it's viewed that that must Money is going to things like four cents a liter off the price of gasoline or perhaps even a middle income tax break. Now, there's different constituencies for both, but some are going to see trade-offs between the two. So what, is, what are these hardships financing? Are they financing reducing the deficit and the debt burden, or are they funding things that may 
or may not be of interest to that constituency. Yeah, and and they are, uh, you know, this government is starting to make changes to the health um, uh, care by reducing bureaucracies, getting rid of the LINs and the things that really kind of bulked up the pencil pushers but didn't do much for the front lines. Um, Professor, if you were recommend, if you were advising this government right now, what would you be telling them? What would your recommendations be in order for Ontario uh, to right this ship? Well, the first is the approach. I think the approach is incredibly important, and, and I guess I'm biased to setting up the way I did it is portray the overall picture and portray it as it is a package deal. A lot of things have to be changed. A lot of trade-offs, a lot of sacrifices have to be made. I think what's difficult in the current environment is we get something lobbed out in one policy area one day, then another one in another day, and no one's seen the picture. And, and in fact, this government broke a precedent because in its fall economic and fiscal update, it gave no forecast. All it gave was the fiscal outlook for this year. So I don't think the people of Ontario, you know, if you say to me you're going to have to give up the, the all-day kindergarten you were planning for, I think legitimately would ask the question, well, why? Right. Am I giving it up because of your election promises? Or am I giving it up because of the deficit and debt you inherited from the previous government? And I don't think there's clear answers to that. So I would have stepped back and before we got to this point and sort of lobbying ideas here and all over the place, put out the context of people, explain to them that we're in a difficult situation, we're going to be in a difficult situation, and some tough things have to be made. And you have to decide in its ensemble how you want to do that and how you want the pieces to go. And one of those is that cliche of when you're in a deep hole, first thing to do is shop, shoveling. Yeah. So I don't. It doesn't necessarily mean abandoning election promises, but I think it puts some caveats on them that you won't do some of these expensive measures until the fiscal situation is substantially improved. We are hearing a lot of the uh, R word, recession, and uh, you know we're looking at uh, new taxes probably com- possibly coming in with um, you know uh, carbon pricing, etc. Uh, we know that people are struggling. Uh, Professor, what is your greatest concern looking forward as we go into the spring to the financial, uh, I think getting a a greater look at the financial books, um, but also balancing the economy as it is now, watching the GDP slow, housing slow. What's your greatest concern for Ontario? Well, first, I just want to clarify, there is no evidence whatsoever that the carbon tax, as proposed by the federal liberal government or elsewise, would bring on a recession. In fact, every administration, every jurisdiction that has one, their economies have done quite well. B.C., the cap-and-trade program in Quebec, we had cap-and-trade for a couple of years in Ontario. We didn't see that. All the European economies have that. They're doing fine. These things are revenue neutral. The money comes back to the individual. So that's not a basis for concern. My basis for concern is the sustainable growth rate for the Ontario economy is probably only around 1.5%. And that doesn't allow spending to go very rapidly, starting with a big hole in the deficit and the debt. So what people have traditionally thought was going to be a tough couple of years means that there's going to be a tough decade. And I don't think people are being prepared for that properly. Certainly, this government doesn't do it. Certainly, the previous Liberal government, I'm not being partisan here at all, the Liberal government at the end did a terrible job of preparing for that. And, of course, went out and blew their their brains out and tried to blow the brains of everybody in Ontario completely out of the context of the situation. So it's not surprising if Ontarians don't completely get behind that. But we did see in the 1990s when there was tough fiscal action taken at the federal and provincial election, most of the governments that did that tough election, did the action, did get re-elected because I think to their credit they laid out the situation and explained it and I don't think that's there at this time. No, and I think um, 
it's going to be painful. It's not just going to be painful for, I mean, you, when you did your report, you were not looking to make friends. You were looking to fix a problem. And I don't get the sense that uh, Mr. Ford's going to make a lot of friends, but it is, it is necessary to get the books in order, but it is going to hurt everybody, correct? Yeah, absolutely. But my point coming back to 2012, there's various different ways of doing it. And if you do the underlying reforms rather than just starving budgets, you can minimize that hurt. And in many cases, you may take the whole area of business subsidies. There's $3 billion of them if you combine the tax and the direct subsidies. I would argue most of them don't do anything good. All they do is reallocate resources away right. from one area where they would naturally go to artificially force them into some other area. You know, money could be saved in that aspect, and we could probably have better economic outcomes. So it's not all pain if you do it sensibly. And I would argue that we could have a better health care system and a better health outcomes probably by spending more money. But it would take a lot of hard work to improve the coordination of care. Well, I'll and, look- and changing the emphasis to promotion of health rather than waiting till people get ill and then patch them up afterwards. Band-aid fixes seem to be the thing in Ontario. Well, Professor Ola, I will look forward to you when you're running the province, and until then, I'll hold my breath. <laughs> But I, uh, I think oh, I, I hope the deficit's fixed before that day comes. <laughs> I don't have to deal with yeah, it. There you go. Well, we need you to do that. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. And that is uh, Professor Drummond. You know, he doesn't speak a lot. So when I got him, I just talked. I'm like, I'm not going to let you go. I got to ask you this and this and this. Uh, so there you've got it. There's where he stands on the current state of affairs in the province of Ontario.